The 100% Wild Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the nation's number one GPS hunting app. Download today in the Google Play and App Store. Hey, hunting junkies, and welcome back to another episode of the Jury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, proudly brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Boom. I am Tim Chelsvik. I have no app. That's you right. are Matt Dury. I have Deercast. Hey, Ayo. we both have Deercast. <laughs> yeah, we're that's both right. winners. <laughs> hey, I gotta tell you, I'm seeing bucks in velvet right now, and it is exciting. Yeah, Dad was telling me that at the farm because I had just looked at a new piece of property last week over in Illinois, and um, you know, because our farm in Illinois that we lease we got hit with EHD really bad. We probably right. found you know 15 different bucks dead, forested. So, uh, anyways, we're on the prowl trying to find a couple new Illinois pieces, and he was telling me he's like, you know. Should we put the cameras out yet? Usually I wait till July. And uh, he's like, well, you know, honestly, at the farm, we're already seeing them get wide. Mm. He's like, so it's it's they're developing, you know, right along schedule. It's I mean, it's it is beginning of June. June is flying. Yeah. Flying by. You're seeing people start posting pictures. I just have a hard time. I've kind of adopted that um, Mark's motto, which is I'm just going to wait till they pretty much are what they are. Get the cameras out. Save your batteries. In July. That's right. And uh, go from there. But that Illinois piece, it's a new piece. So I kind of got to figure out how to hunt it. So Uh I I probably need to put cameras up a little earlier there just to see where generally speaking they're coming from. But you know, like most states in the Midwest are really all over the country they don't have their crops in yet there's so many you know farmers mm-hmm. that haven't been able to plant because we had such a wet spring and yep. you know there's flooding in so many places so you know i i felt like i'm just gonna wait you know to put the cameras out but dad made a really good point he's like well you don't want to do it once the crops are in because if 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 your farmer plants the whole you know so it's got a real big bottom in it mm-hmm. he's like if he plants the whole thing you won't have your access to get to the field edges that you need to put the cameras yeah, up that's true so so i'm rethinking you know going back making here, another trip yeah, to illinois yeah, which it's not a bad thing it's only two hours away so yeah. it's it you know it's a it's a cool farm looking forward to seeing more about it this year it's exciting like there were probably three deer that I would have shot on one of my farms last year. They were just good enough size. Yeah. I'm ex- and I think they made it through. Awesome. So I'm really excited to see what they good. look like. But this farm is such a love-hate kind of relationship. I, I know the feeling of that. <laughs> oh man. I, I I saw a ton of deer when I was back there for turkey season this past spring. And it's just it's just me. Like I just need to get better and that's all there is to it. That's the conclusion that I've come to. You need to get better mm-hmm. and I need to get better. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, you know, the farm, the 262, totally underwater. It's like 11 feet underwater. I think that it crested up there in Clarksville near where the farm is. And you can't Just under deer. 93. But can't do anything. I can't get to it. Yeah. It's just under 93 historic flooding levels. And then the other farm, the lease, I couldn't get to it the roads were closed. So it's, uh, you know, it's one of those deals where I've had a hard time getting excited because my spots are mm-hmm. just hard to get to right Right. now. Well, this new farm, I think, you know, it finally got me back in the mode. And that's part of the fun of deer hunting is you're always trying to figure something out. There's always some problem solving aspect or even just a mindset aspect that you're having to switch or change or revise. Yeah. I was talking to Aaron Bennett about it and he hunts up near where I hunt near, you know, the Ellsbury, uh, NATO, all that area. And he's like, man, you know, it's time to start getting the analogics back out there. And it's like, yeah, it's time, but you know, it's, it's hard. 
hard to, if you can't get to the spot, <laughs> it makes right. it pretty tough to want to go do it. But it is, it is time. And his point was, you know, with all the fields that are flooded down there, because it's all ag down there in the mm-hmm. river bottoms. It's like they, they are pushing up into the hill ground, which is where Aaron's spot is and my spot is. And he's like, frankly, if you if you put the analogics out now and they and, and some bucks go there that weren't typically there because of the flooding, you might just entice them to stay and stick around. Yeah, that's true. You know, so it was a good point. So I, I really got to get rolling and, and get my butt in gear, frankly. And it'll be interesting to see what happens because there are laws in a lot of states, Missouri is one of them, that prohibit hunting deer that have been displaced by floodwaters. Really? Yeah. How's that work? So, well, it, it, I mean, how would you know if they're coming up under your, uh, your, there's farm? obviously some, some discretion that a game officer would have to play, but there are some folks, I think down around Cape Girardeau a few years ago that were, that were, uh, that were taking deer that were like pushed up onto levees. And that's clearly that's clearly against well, that would be, yeah, that'd be one thing. If mm-hmm. you know, but Mark was just telling us about Bobby Culbertson down at Terra wildlife. So oh, yeah, the, the flooding down there in the Mississippi Delta, of course, everything's heading South mm-hmm. and they've been flooded for so long. He said they're losing deer left and right, you know, f- b- whether it's birthing issues or fawns dying, or he said deer in droves up on the levees down there. So they've just don't have anywhere to go. Right. Yeah. So you definitely have to check your, your, your state game laws and make sure that you're, in the good point, Tim. Yeah. Just trying to keep you out of jail, buddy. <laughs> I need all the help I, I can get. <laughs> well, so it's, we were talking about kind of pushing the envelope, learning about new things. Yep. Uh, one, one of the things that's on my bucket list is a, is a Western archery elk hunt. Ditto. And, and a lot of, a lot of Midwesterners dream of going out West to kill an elk with their bow or just, just to kill an elk. Yeah. And we have a guest today. That's right. That has done that a few times. Yeah. I'm excited because she's basically a pro at this point, you know, and the coach, she's got a really cool story, you know, wasn't a hunter always wasn't in our industry always. And it's kind of evolved into this, you know, badass chick that's, you know, elk hunting with bow and arrow all over the, the West. So Without further ado, let's bring her on. Yeah. Rihanna Carey, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. How's it going? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So first, before we get into it too far, we, we heard that you were hanging out with Mark and Taylor and Tracy and Austin this past weekend. Did they stay out of trouble? We all stayed out of trouble. You know, we were a pack and we kept each other out of trouble. We had each other's back. (laughs) No, we had so much fun. We all went to Park City, which you guys, if you've never been, Park City is absolutely gorgeous. It was my first time going and I absolutely loved it. It was just so pretty and a lot of good restaurants, good food and good company. So we had a really good time. Awesome. So you and Taylor actually don't live that far apart there in Utah, right? We live one minute from each other and actually their new house that they just got is even closer. I'm, I'm pretty sure they did that on purpose because they love me so much. They want to be close. Taylor and I are going to get probably like a a moped or something like that. So we can ride it (laughs) to each other's house. (laughs) You got to drive last time. (laughs) Golf cart. Nothing but danger. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so we have we have a real good time here. Like, luckily, I just moved to Salt Lake in December, and it's been really nice having Austin and Taylor here. Just like they've been so great. So, cool. Cool. yeah, so, we have a lot of fun. So, you work <laughs> at Mountain Ops there in yes. Utah. So, what what's your job title? What what is it that you're doing there for Mountain Ops? 
So I'm their strategic partnership manager. Sounds super fancy. <laughs> but um, basically, I'm managing all of our uh, upper tier investors. And then I'm managing like our partnerships with other companies and other brands. So it's actually a pretty fun job. And I get to do a lot of hunting with it. So obviously, that's my passion. So I actually have a really fun job. And not an awesome company to work for. So. Don't tell Tim this because he works for a company that he probably thought he was going to get to hunt a lot and it just doesn't work that what way. What here. is hunting? Yeah. <laughs> this is us. This is our version of hunting being on a podcast. We talk about hunting. Yeah. We see deer in videos. That's right. Yeah. So if you follow along with any of the guys that start at Mountain Ops or work there, Rihanna you know, on Instagram, it does look like a really cool place to, mm-hmm. uh, to work in a fun atmosphere. And uh, obviously, everybody that works there has a real passion for our industry. It's a good thing. Yeah, we've got a gym here. We've got a shooting range. So it's nice. I can be on the computer and just if I get an itch to go and shoot my bow. I'm able to go and just do it on my lunch or take breaks. So Nice. That's actually really That's nice. Cool. That's yeah. cool. We're working I'm sure on you guys things. have the same thing where you're at. Yeah, yeah. Right? Something like that. We go to the parking lot. <laughs> To shoot our bows, but you kind of got to hide so nobody sees you and that's <laughs> driving the road. And-, and we just did some checking. I needed to let you know this. Again, I'm trying to keep you out of jail. The the municipality where we are does not allow, allow the firing of any projectiles. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for that. So, you, you know, ignorance. Is, <laughs> I've know. lived in it for 38 years. The plan was to keep la, la, going. La, 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 don't tell me. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we, so, so we, we don't, don't have, have a shooting range. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys can come to Salt Lake anytime. Come and see the Mountain Ops HQ. We'll take you around and you guys can see your boat here. We're just waiting on Taylor to invite us. Yeah. <laughs> Might be waiting a while. Probably lost in the mail. <laughs> so in, in, in your work and looking for folks to influence and be an ambassador for Mountain Ops, what kind of things are you looking for? Asking you know, for just a friend. The overall passions for the outdoors, like they definitely have to have strong ethics. And, you know, you can tell a lot by somebody's passion on their social media platforms. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of take a look at it and look for similarities between like myself and some of our top tier ambassadors that I know just, you know, absolutely love hunting and have good morals and stuff like that. So really, that's just kind of what I look for. And honestly, I've, I've been doing stuff in the industry for the past six or seven years now. And in fact, that's how long I've known Taylor. So, um, you know, you definitely get to know a lot of people and, and know where their values lie. And, and so it's been actually really, really fun to be able to like bring on a bunch of my friends and, and work closer with them and go hunting with them and stuff like that. So it's definitely kind of what I look for. I feel like just people who share the same values as I do. So before you got into the hunting industry, you were a nurse, correct? Yes. So I started out being a nurse and, and I loved nursing. It was, it was a great job and it was definitely um, very fulfilling. Um, and I was brought into hunting through um, a spouse and um, I just like hit the ground running with it. I just loved it so much and I just loved being outdoors. And so nursing kind of went on the back burner. I was able to, to kind of do more per diem nursing, luckily and um, do hunting full-time. So I think for the past four or five years, I've been doing mostly just hunting. And then I took the job with Mountain Ops um, in October of last year. So 
kind of the same idea. Now I actually have to come to the office though and, and work <laughs> kind of nine to five when I'm not out hunting or adventuring, but, but it's so fun. And like, like I was telling you guys, like everyone here has such a passion for hunting and we just have a really good time. So, so we get yeah. this question all the time about, uh, trying to break into the industry. And of course, you know, I've, I've been involved in the industry literally <laughs> my entire life, but Tim, he had a job outside of this industry mm-hmm. and kind of worked his way into it. And obviously that's your background. What would be something that you would advice you would give someone that's trying to switch careers or follow their passion and, and make, hunting quote unquote hunting their everyday job. I think that it's definitely important to love what you do and show that in a professional and, you know, ethical and like, I don't know, just sharing your passion and doing it in the right way is super important. But I think for me, kind of how I got started was, you know, you just, well, you have to be kind of successful too, I think. So, um, I was able to quit full time and put my, put every, every day into it. Whereas most people I know it's kind of hard, but, um, I feel like if you're able to like quit your job, save up and really just do it full time that you'd have a lot more luck. Cause it's definitely, um, you know, something that you have to, to put the work in for and, um, like elk hunting. So I started out elk hunting and you really have to be able to take a lot of time off to do it. Um, I mean, you can definitely do it in a week, but I feel like for me, um, I was a lot more successful because I was able to take more time off doing per diem nursing. So, you know, the other aspect of getting into the outdoor industry is kind of the path I took. And that was just really good looks. Yeah. 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 Why are you guys laughing at that? (laughs) Okay. That that can help. That can help. So, so, but you, you took it from hunting into an actual full-time job, a position Mm -hmm. with a a manufacturer in our industry. So Mm -hmm. that leap how how did you end up meeting all these people? Was it going to industry trade shows, consumer trade shows, you know, that, that type of, um, approach? That definitely helped. So, um, my, I, I started going to, I think my first one was shot show. And so you just, you know, meet the right people there. Then you go to ATA and it's really just networking. So that's kind of, um, my job that I have now. And so, I guess maybe like, I I love talking to people. I love, you know, having conversations. I love talking about hunting. So um, for me, I think that's just really what it came down to is like, I would meet people at um, SHOT Show and just was able to talk to them about hunting. And, you know, I, I definitely, I have done a lot of research and I know a lot about it. Like I, I never wanted to come into this industry and be somebody who didn't know what I was talking about. And so, um, I was able to hold a good conversation and (laughs) I mean, I knew what I was talking about. So that helped. So definitely I think, you know, you need to have knowledge about it. Um, I started out bow hunting and so that's mostly what I do. And I really like dove in deep with it and, and learned as much as I could so that I could, you know, be as proficient as I could. The, The animal deserves that, but also like taking it as a job, you need to know what you're talking about. So that really helped. 
And the, and there are there are no shortage of people on so, social media influencers that are the the huntress in the in the negative sense of the word. Like their skill level is about as deep as the two dimensional images you're seeing on on the screen. <laughs> that was one of the things that we really appreciate about you, Rihanna. That you are a legitimate hunter, and mm-hmm. and so. So there's, there's, and I'll ask you this question, but do you find that you have to, like, do you have to assert yourself or do you have to do anything to differentiate yourself when you meet folks or as you're establishing yourself in this industry that says, no, I'm not, I'm not these people that are kind of a, I'm just posing with a bow, but I'm a legit hunter. Yeah, there definitely has been some people who definitely, um, you know, have not been the most respectful. And I just attribute that to, you know, the social media as it is. Like, I, I think that it's easy to pass judgment on people just by looking at them. And I've had that happen to me. But honestly, like, I think that you just have to... I don't know. I guess you just have to kind of get to know someone and let them know like, Hey, you know, just show that you actually know what you're talking about and that you can hold a conversation with them because that's, that's been mostly for me, like, or I guess like, like, well, have you killed five elk with your bow? Like if somebody's kind of a jerk about it, then I'll kind of bring that up. But, but I think too, it's just like easy to pass judgment just by um, looking at a, you know, at a girl and saying like, okay, well she wears a lot of makeup or, um, she dresses, you know, she's not wearing camo or whatnot. Like it's, it's really easy to assume that they're in it for the wrong reason. But you know, for me, I know why I'm in it. I know why I do it because I'm passionate about it and I love it. And and if social media wasn't around, like I would still be out in the mountains every single day, sure. any chance that I got, I would still, still be doing what I'm doing because it's something that I love. And and in fact, like taking this job with mountain ups, I feel like I've been more distant on social media because I'm able to be, but, um, and, and I actually kind of like it. Although like, I feel like people do like to see what I'm doing and like to see, you know, my story. So I do still share it. But for me, I kind of like took a little bit of a step back taking this position and saying like, I don't have to be on social media now. Like I can just do it because I love it. And, and it doesn't have to be my job, you know? So, well, although it is kind of my job, I guess, yeah. <laughs> in a roundabout way. So, you know, kind of going back to Tim's original question, say a Midwestern guys, you know, he's w- w- got this bucket list hunt of wanting to go out West and, and, you know, hunt elk. What would be the first steps, you know, say you, you actually drew the tag and you're going to go public land hunting, you know, wherever, Oregon, where you're from, what, what are the first steps that someone needs to take and, and how do they even, cause it's, it's a daunting task if you've never done it, Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of a land lot. and physical, the physicality yeah, of it. getting prepared for it, you know, what to pack, what, what you need to, you know, have on the mountainside, what, what, what proficiencies you need with your, your archery equipment, mm-hmm. all types of stuff. So kind of give us a 30,000 foot view and then maybe dive into some detail that, that you, the approach you would take. I definitely think that um, depending on the unit, it's important to try and scout. A really good thing that you can utilize is like the local game unit. So like in Oregon, you know, each specific unit has um, a fish and game department that you can call. And typically those guys, you know, they are out in the field every single day. That's their job. So 
Um, if you can give them a call, get one of them on the phone, typically they're a super good resource and, um, you know, they'll let you know where, um, a good place would be, you know, you'll obviously want to look for, um, good water, good terrain, good cover. So <clears throat> take a look at, um, you can use Onyx hunt maps or, or, um, Garmin hunt maps and, um, do some scouting, some pre-scouting and get to know the lay of the land. Cause that's super important. Um, for me, I like to have multiple areas that I can go and hunt. If you have a certain unit that you can hunt, you know, it's definitely harder, but, um, in Oregon, I'll hunt multiple units, um, just depending on where the elk are every year can be different. So, um, sometimes, you know, they're up high, it takes them a little bit longer to get low. Um, it really just depends on the year. Like you guys were talking about, it's been a really wet year where you guys are at. So it's changing, um, their behavior and where they're at. It's been wet everywhere actually. So, um, taking that into account, um, then, Definitely being prepared when you're on the hunt is super important. So for me, I do a lot of um, hunting alone. Um, so one thing I definitely recommend to people is having a communication device when you're out there um, so that you can always make sure that you're safe. Um, and then as far as like packing goes, it just really depends on the type of hunt that you're going to do. I mean, there's really good places that you can go and you can take your trailer and hunt from your trailer um, I've done that. I can, you know, I, I'll, I'll always bring a, a spike, like a spike tent or something that I can, mm -hmm. um, spike camp out of. Um, but yeah, that's typically how I like to do it. Honestly, is like get kind of back in the back country and, um, try and get where most people won't go. Cause I found that that's where I have the most success. Um, it's super difficult in some areas. It's very, can be very saturated with hunters. Mm -hmm. and so. Oh, sorry, my phone. Um, so you definitely have to, um, you know, try and find the areas where elk are actually acting like elk because um, there can be multiple people out there blowing calls all day long. And um, it really teaches those elk to kind of be quiet. You know, they, they're, they're smarter than you'd think. So um, trying to get to the areas where people aren't so that you can actually call a bull in or hear them bugling. Like last year, I didn't see one hunter where I was at and the elk were going insane. <laughs> I was, I was really like upset though. Cause I was alone and I'm like, there's like six bulls bugling right now. And like I'm bugling, but, but really it like helps to have somebody with you, especially when you're calling. So, sure. um, you know, have them kind of set up staggered a little bit behind you so that, um, you can get them to like cross that point. Um, cause typically they'll hang up, you know, about like 60 to 80 yards. And so, um, if you have someone kind of in front, then they'll, um, you know, get a little bit closer. So, uh, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent. So, you're right on track. Yeah. So, um, definitely like, I think that any, any information that you can get, like, uh, elk 101. Have you guys heard of that? So Corey Jacobson, he has his elk 101 that you can get on there. And there's such good information, like even takes you through calling, like how to call. And, um, that's super important. Like you definitely need to know how to use a mouth read or even like I've used my, if I, my mouth reads not in, like you have to be able to stop the elk. So there's been multiple situations where, um, you know, they're walking and you have to be able to like make the cow sound so that they'll stop and you can take a shot. Um, so it's just like, it's, it's definitely important for you to, 
to get on like anything that you can and learn as much as you can about elk and their behaviors and stuff like that. Um, the best way honestly is getting out there and doing it. So, um, I've learned so much over the past six years elk hunting and it's because typically I'll take September off and I'm just in the mountains all of September. And, and the things that I've seen are just absolutely incredible seeing elk do. And it's, it's definitely something that like is like a burning passion because, when you can, you know, hear bulls bugling in your face and um, have them at 10 yards and, and um, you know, like running and um, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. Like I would, I wouldn't, I would take chase elk for the rest of my life if I could, <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, but yeah. It's, so. it's clear that you're passionate about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but elk 101, I say, I think would be a really good resource for anyone who's wanting to um, go on an elk hunt this year. Right. I think there's like go hunt too. They have another, um, they have website that has a lot of really good information. I haven't done that one as much, but um, mm-hmm. Corey Jacobson's elk 101 I have gone through. So, so I know it has a lot of good information on there. Let's talk about your, your practice regimen, uh, your archery setup for shooting elk. Cause it's a, it's obviously a, a bigger animal. It takes more kinetic energy. The shots are typically longer out there in the West. So what do you do to yeah. get ready? And what are the typical scenarios that you end up shooting in? So I shot my elk last year at 60 yards. Um, they're definitely a bigger target on a deer. I typically wouldn't take that shot typically like 50 and under on a deer for me. Um, but because elk are a little bit bigger, I do feel more confident and I definitely make sure before the season starts, like I have every, all my ducks in a row. Like I know my bow is shooting good, even out to 80 yards. Um, it's taken me a while to get there, honestly, to be able to shoot at longer distances, Mm -hmm. um, because you kind of have to work up your poundage. So uh, starting out, I think I started at like 45 pounds and then went up to 50, then now like 55 and now I'm at 60. So, um, I have that uh, good kinetic energy. My draw length is 26 and a half. So it's a little bit, you know, shorter. So I feel like that extra 10 pounds from 50 to 60 really helps me get those longer distances and I'm a lot more accurate at them. So, um, I have, I shot an antelope at 70 yards when I was shooting 50 pounds Mm -hmm. and, um, because it was losing that kinetic energy at that lo- like longer distances. Cause I did, cause of my shorter draw length, um, it made the arrow do some really crazy stuff. So I was like, dang, I really need to like get my poundage up. Yeah. Um, and so now at 60, I feel super confident and I'll shoot an elk at 60 yards for sure. Um, 65, I'd probably go out to, mm-hmm. uh, 70 is a little bit hard, but, um, you know, I, it just really depends on the situation. If that elk doesn't know that I'm there or if they're just standing there broadside, like it just, I think, you know, you have to be quick in deciding what you're going to do and, um, practicing, you know, you can, there's always new scenarios. You're always going to be learning. But, um, for me, I, I definitely try and shoot more like out to 80 yards. Okay. And I feel like when I, when I first go and shoot, like yesterday, I started at 60, like the farther out you are, uh, the more accurate you'll be at those 20 yard distances. Mm-hmm. So I feel like shooting more at farther distances, even if you're not as accurate, it'll, it'll really like help you dial down um, to 30, 40 yards. Like it feels like a chip shot when you're shooting sure. those longer uh, ranges. Okay. And then for me too. So my, the, for the first year, I think that I shot a bull, I did the train to hunt. And so that really like spiked my confidence. So I knew I was in good shape. Um, I was shooting, shooting really well. 
Um, and the total archery challenges, like get out there in the summertime and do those archery shoots. That really helps. Some of them are like 120 yards. So those longer distances and being able to shoot that are super important. I actually have a separate arrow profile for um, longer range. Mm -hmm. And then like when hunting season comes around, then I'll switch to my heavier arrows. Um, cause I know I'm not going to be shooting those long distances, yeah. but being able to actually practice at 120 yards is important. Even if you're not hitting the target, you know what I mean? So, um, for me, I, I can shoot out to those distances. Um, but it took me a while to get there. So sure. practice is perfect. Honestly, it could be a lot of pins in a multi-pin side. Are you shooting a single, like a slider? So I'm shooting the Garmin site now. Oh, um, yeah. I have the the Garmin site and, and that allows me to get out to 120. Okay. Um, and it has different arrow profiles, which is what I like about it. So I can have my hunting arrow profile on there and then I can have my tack shooting profile on That's there. So cool. I don't have to change my site out, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Um, but for hunting and, and in certain states, you can't use the Garmin. Right. So um, other, when I have, um, you know, if I'm hunting Oregon, I can't use my Garmin. So I'll use, I have a six pin, but it's, um, it's the option six is what it's called. Mm-hmm. So you can open up the housing and it'll be a single pin or you can close the housing and it'll be a six pin site. Gotcha. So I can get to those, you know, dial it down. So I'll always have six pins and my six pin will be at 70 yards. Okay. So, so are you just in that scenario, are you just, do you have more than one bow or are you swapping your sights out each time? I have two bows. Yeah. So I have, um, I have one that has my Garmin site on it and then I have one that has my option six site on it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't have to switch them out. Um, which is good. I mean, if I have to, then, then I do, sure. I get a new bow every year, which I'm sure you guys do. It do too. <laughs> so it kind of makes things difficult having to side in two bows, but, um, typically my poundage is the same, like it's the same, um, ideal and most of the time. Um, but, but yeah, so it's typically like, it's not that difficult to swap out the site with a new bow or I haven't found it yet. So. Sure. How about a release? Cause shooting 120 yards, your release yeah. and your process is important. Are you on index style or a thumb release or what are you shooting? So I have my release right aids. here. It's a, um, it's a spot hog. So I use an index finger. I've tried using the thumb one. Mm-hmm. And in fact, like, so I even shot back tension before because I have gone through target panic before. Yeah. Um, so I switched to a back tension and I was using that for a while. And then, and I never use that hunting just because I don't like, I, I want to be in control in every yeah. situation. And I feel like that one you can't be, although I know people that use them and they, they shoot great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to back tension and then, I went to a thumb release and I used that for a little while. Um, but it just, you know, didn't really work for me. So I went back to the index finger and that helped me get out of my, um, target panic. So that transition mm-hmm. from back tension to thumb to index finger, like now I don't have any, um, target panic at all. And I always make sure when I'm going to shoot, like I always rest my finger right on the, on the, um, trigger. Like it's not a hair trigger at all. It's actually pretty hard to pull. So I can kind of like make sure that I'm pulling through my shot. Yeah. Um, with that, that finger, that's why I like to use it. So it's a spot hog. Yeah. 
indexing early. So. So some, a lot of people could be shooting back tension with an index style. That sounds like it's it's what you're doing. You just wrap your finger around the trigger and you just make that make your finger a, an immovable hook and you just keep bringing yep. your shoulder blades together and pull through. That way you're not executing the shot with your finger, but it's really your 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 back muscles that are really pulling through the shot and it and it really it that that helped me when I was shooting a, an index style release to get over a target panic because you don't know exactly when it's gonna go off and so you can't oh, wow. time it. So I want to take us back to the mountains here. You you shoot a elk. You're on a solo hunt. What's next? Because <laughs> that's that's the daunting <laughs> task of <laughs> the track. So this is <laughs> so um, I have shot a few elk solo. Although you know, there's other people in camp. So like I think it was four years ago. I shot one. I was like probably half an hour from my uh, father-in-law at the time. And so, you know, I shot a ball and was able to call him and he came and helped me. Like I, I can process the animal on, on my own if I want, if I, you know, I could, but packing that out, especially an elk. I mean, that's intense. I've shot a deer by myself and was able to drag it out. Like I have a deer drag. So and that's typically what I'll use. I had, it was hard getting it in my car though. That's for sure. So, um, <laughs> but, um, it's definitely my goal to shoot an elk by myself and pack it out alone. I don't know if that's like a dumb thing or not, because it's you cool. know, you obviously want to make sure that you can get the meat out fast enough. Like last year I was in some situations where, um, if I had shot a bull, which I thought I should have, I, I, I shot a bull at a bull at 10 yards back there, probably like five miles by myself. And I don't know how, like if somebody else was like, Hey, you're not going to shoot this elk. You know, if it was more of like God or something, because he's like, you would die packing that out alone. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I would like to, I would like to do it just to like, you know, be able to, um, test myself, I guess. But typically there's somebody close by that I can call that will help me like pack out the meat. Yeah. So, and I think that's a lot of Western hunters. They, they hunt alone. And then, you know, you get an elk down and you call your friends to come and help you pack it out. Um, if they can be there pretty quick. So, so yeah, I mean, I try and have somebody nearby. Don't yeah. be as crazy as I am and, and try and do it alone. But I, I do know a lot of people that do like Wayne Endicott and Eugene, like he, he'll piggyback his elk. So if he, he goes back there like 12 miles and if he shoots one 12 miles, he'll, He'll grab a load of meat and then he'll go walk five miles and he'll go back and get the rest and then go back to that point, drop it off. Then, you know, go the extra five miles. And so, um, you can definitely piggyback it. I typically don't go that far. If I'm alone, I'll just go back there like five miles or so. So, um, at least I can know that I've done it, but, <laughs> but yeah, imagine? I haven't had to pack it out alone yet. So. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Maybe <Tim>? this year. <laughs> it, it makes me think about all the times I've killed a deer and complained about having to drag it out. Yeah. It's like, an elk is probably three or four times as big as I, I, so I like can't too. imagine. I don't even have anything to relate it to because frankly, I've always had a camera guy with me. Right, like yeah. you always have someone there to help. And let's be honest, you know, on the the farms, you know, 
there's usually a side by side or something that electric vehicle or something that we can get to. I think Mark and Terry, you know, the first 15 or 20 years did it the hard way. And they by the time I came around, they had learned so many things that made it a lot easier on the, on the rest the dif- of us. Yeah. But different ballgame. I, I can't imagine being five, 10 miles back in mountain country and, and packing, you know, packing an elk out. Even when I killed that elk a couple of years ago mm-hmm. at wild country adventures, they had, side by sides and I, you wouldn't have thought they would have been able to get it up this mountain, but that was a all in itself. Just watching them drive that side by side up the mountain, the, the basically the spine of the mountain. Mm-hmm. It was like, Spooky. Holy crap. <laughs> hey. Back down it. <laughs> it's crazy. And there's nothing wrong with that. I will take that. Like if I were to shoot an elk, like on a easy road, like mm-hmm. I would be totally fine with that sure. too, honestly. Yeah. But typically where I'm hunting, it's public land. And so you have to get off of those main roads because otherwise there's tons of other yeah. people. So it's a lot easier when you can, you know, hunt places that have that kind of access. I've, I've hunted wild country too. And that place is absolutely incredible. Like yeah. I would shoot an elk there in a heartbeat, you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it just really depends on the area that you're hunting and if you need to get away from people or if not, like, I'm, I'm good with doing it. However, I did hunt, um, a ranch last year in Oregon for probably a week. And that was awesome. Like, because they heard that I was in the mountains alone and they're like, okay, you should just come and hunt with us. Like, we'll help you pack it out. And I was like, okay, like I'll I'll come and hunt with you guys for a little bit. I, but there is something that I enjoy about like being out there and like, you know, just because too. And I feel like I, I sometimes like need to prove it, not just to like other people, but to myself that like, you know, I can do it. I don't need somebody else there to, to walk me through it. I don't need somebody to tell me, you know, to draw or to, um, not step there or, mm-hmm. or whatnot. You know, I like to be able to like be proficient myself. So, and so do you think um, that, that's the only reason that I do it. <laughs> you think that you're, you're, you feel that way because you're just trying to prove something, not only to yourself, but to others that, Hey, I'm a female. It doesn't matter that I'm a female. I can do it you can do it. Here's the proof. Is that the mentality? I think it's mostly my own complex. Honestly, Mm -hmm. it's mostly just me wanting to be able to, um, you know, do it on my own. I don't, I mean, I don't like people telling me what to do. I I mean, who does? Maybe there's some people that like that, but for me, I don't like people telling me that I can't. I don't like people telling me that, um, you know, I'm not a good hunter. I don't like people telling me that I wear too much makeup, you know, like I don't, I don't like people telling me what to do. So, um, being able to do it on your own and like, just know that you can is, um, not only huge for, I feel like being a woman, but it's just like huge for your own confidence levels. Like for me, I feel like, and I've never, I've never been so, uh, felt so strong and so confident. Um, and it was hunting that brought it to me because I was never like that before. I never would have ever thought that I could do certain things that I have been able to accomplish. Um, you, if you told me like 10 years ago that I would be solo hunting, sleeping in the back country by myself, like I would have told you, you were full of it. Like I never <laughs> would have thought that that would happen, but you know, it's just, um, it's just a crazy journey that I've gone on that has made me like feel super confident. Like I can do anything. So. In, in a way, I think modern society has kind of declawed the human spirit. Well, for sure, because it's easy. Go to the grocery store. That's the point. Right? Yeah, and 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 we know, like, if if you declaw a cat, they just like lose a part of their spirit. That's now illegal in uh, yeah. <laughs> they're really looking out for the females <laughs> yeah. in, the, in society. So are straws. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right, but um, 
<laughs> but but I, I think if more people had access to these experiences, they would. It's that the notion of being self-actualized, like feeling that you are in the role that you were intended to be. Yeah, it's in every one of us, right? You yep. got we're here because somewhere back in the lineage, someone hunted somewhere, you know, you survived because of that lineage. So it's in all of us. Donnie Vincent talks about that a lot. Yeah. You know, and uh to your point, I think many of us have just been declawed through time and that's just the way the society is. I mean, that's that's evolution of sorts. But you know, that's also evolution's not always a, a great no, thing. No, either. absolutely. So yeah. Yeah, I think that like overcoming challenges, overcoming obstacles really builds a person's character. And um, for me, like that's, I feel like hunting, you know, it definitely, there's, there's a lot of challenges and it's not always pretty. It's not always, um, you know, I mean, death is definitely can be hard to watch, but um, Mm -hmm. it's a part of the cycle of life. And if you're a meat eater, then you should shoot an animal to see how you feel about it. I mean, if you can't shoot an animal, then you probably shouldn't be eating meat. So, um, Boom, and, that. and I actually meat. was vegan for a, for a while. Like when I was in nursing school, I wrote a paper on, um, factory farming, the slaughterhouses and, and, and it was it's so one-sided too, because there are farms out there like that are doing great things and are very ethical and clean. And, um, you know, you can get good meat from, but, um, for me, like I just, read this book it was so one-sided and and i just was like oh i can't eat meat anymore and and then i i did that for a little bit and i was so unhealthy like it's just in my blood to be a meat eater like i think it is for most people hello that's how we started you know civilization that's what they attribute like our brain like our uh fast brain growth and development and stuff like that so um i just feel like it's super important for um people to you know understand what what being a meat eater is all about um, and there's so many people that don't, they just don't even think about it. Right. So right. out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. So, so Rihanna, yeah. I just, uh, as, as I think about the hunting industry today and, um, and where you've been and where you are and the, the credentials and the credibility that you have, what advice would you give to female hunters who are aspiring to do something more in the industry so that they don't become a flash in the pan, a two dimensional social media character, but they are taken seriously and, uh, and, and have legit credibility. So definitely education, like educate yourself on the game that you're chasing, educate yourself on your weapon, uh, ensure that, you know, you really know what you're doing and also do it with passion. Like you have to love it. If you mm-hmm. don't, if you don't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning, if you don't want to be cold, if you don't want to be wet, like then don't do it. Um, you know, definitely do it with a purpose and don't do it for others. You know, a lot of, I know a lot of people who have gotten into it because of their significant others. They want them to, you know, they want to share that experience, but that's the only reason they're doing it because their husband wants them to, or their boyfriend wants them to like, don't do it. If you don't love it, like it, you have to do it with passion and you have to um, do it with like good values and for a good reason. Cause you owe it to that animal to, to do it for, you know, what, like because you love it, I guess. Yeah. So for me, it's, you know, I feel like I just honestly truly love hunting. And, um, like I said, if social media wasn't around, I would still be doing exactly what I'm doing, uh, right now. So, um, kind of think of it like that, you know, if you weren't getting the, all the likes or all the comments, would you still be doing it? Like, 
Just ask question. yourself that question. Yeah. Once the novelty wears off, is it, are you still driven to do it? Exactly. And so, would you do it without social media? Yeah. I almost, I thought I was not going to have a social media. Um, what was it a month ago? I was like, huh, well, there goes social media. Somebody hacked my Instagram account and people were like, well, are you freaking out? Like what, what are you going to do? And I'm relief. like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I just might not have Instagram anymore. And I was like, honestly, like I'm fine with that. Yeah. Like it's definitely might hinder my, my job. But, mm-hmm. but for me, I'm like, I can rebuild it or, or whatever. I was like, I just honestly, I'm not that worried about it. Um, but maybe it was just cause I, <laughs> I don't know. It didn't fully sink in, but yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's, it also, <laughs> I, I think speaks to the level of security you have with yourself <clears throat> because th- there is an aspect of needing constant affirmation. If, if you live and die by your social media account, that's probably an indication that you need to be a little more comfortable and confident in who you are at the, at the base level and not have to get others affirmation all the time. For sure. And, but also it can be the opposite. Like social media can be horrible. Oh, the things yeah, that you see on there, yeah. the things that people say, it, it's more of a, a, of a hinder than it is like a confidence boost. You know what I mean? Like people can say some really mean things and you have to have a thick skin and you have to have confidence in yourself. Um, otherwise you'll take it so personally. And I see that so often with so many of these, um, you know, people that aren't doing it for the right reason, they get so much hate and it just drives them to feel even worse about themselves, honestly. So yeah. it can be, it can be a double-edged sword for sure. Totally. But for me, I see somebody say like, Oh, she's got so much makeup on, like looks like a, a fake huntress to me. I'm like, I, I, I honestly could care less. I could care less what you have to say. Cause obviously you're just passing a judgment. Um, <laughs> like have you, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't let it get to me. I don't really care. I know that I do it because I love it. And somebody has something bad to say about it, then well, they can say that. <laughs> so you kind of got the, the Cam Haynes mentality. And I know you're from Cam Haynes country. You're good friends with him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that seems to be his approach. You know, he doesn't really, he doesn't really mess around at all with him. people talking crap on his pages. He's quick he to, gets to ban. So- uh, oh my gosh, it's crazy. I feel, I mean, I, and I don't get any level of that, that he gets. And honestly, like, I don't get a ton of it. I feel kind of blessed and lucky that I don't, mm-hmm. but, um, but when I do, it definitely like makes me just want to try harder and work harder and, um, you know, like hunt more, honestly, I'm just mm-hmm. like, whatever, like these people don't know me. They don't know why I do it. And they don't know, they don't know anything so <laughs> about it. So, yeah, I think it's important. We're getting ready to have Cameron on the podcast here in the coming weeks. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, you're, you're good friends with him. Is there something that we need to ask him or something that you know about him that, that'll make him pause before he answers it, that we could give him a little jab. <laughs> oh no, I love Cam. And I think, um, the reason why we are such buddies is because I would never jab him. <laughs> oh, man. I was hoping for yeah, a jab. I, you know, I had to try. I'm, a, I'm a, a ride or die. I'm, I'm a loyal person. And, you know, I think that that's important too. But no, um, let's see. Gosh. Not really that I can think of Maybe off the top of my head. Us. He is like no one I've ever met, honestly. He has the craziest mindset. He's like, an animal. The toughest <laughs> mind. Yeah, he is. You, I'm you just can like, love or hate Aw. the guy. 
you follow him on Instagram and, and you can see just how, I mean, I don't care what you think of him. He works his butt off. Oh, like, no doubt. The amount of miles he puts in in a day, the, the type of training he does just because that's who he is. I don't care what you think about the guy. It's pretty unbelievable to, to see how far he can push the human body. Well, there are a few people, and, and he has to be also just a genetic specimen because there are a few people that can, <laughs> that can lift and do the strength training that, that they do plus the endurance athletics. It's usually that's two camps and you're either an endurance athlete or you are focused on strength and you have a, a, a heavier frame or you have a slight frame. Really? There's only two people I know that do it. Cameron Haynes and, and then you, of course, Tim. As Well, I mean, the, <laughs> the names are synonymous with each other. Is that, is that Tim Cheswick or Cam? I can't tell. I'm looking distance. at him. We're all target with Cam Haynes, on it, but I've never <laughs> someday, seen him. <laughs> someday it'll happen. Tim K. <laughs> Well, I definitely have seen Cam like run down and so tired, but he still is like, well, I'm going to go to the gym. Like, Do you ever stop? Like what what is wrong with you? Right. That's what separates him though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes me feel really lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You could do that. So before we leave, we have one more thing to go over, right? Yeah. We've got the wildlife word for the week. All right. Let's hear it. The wildlife word is antler velvet. Well, that's which is timely. That's easy. Usually, you give us. Give I me told the you it was going to be a little weak today. That's weak, Tim. <laughs> but but there is but there's a, a fun fact within this. Okay. So so Rihanna, this is open to you, Matt. You too. What is the max amount of antler growth a deer could put on in the course of a day? Uh, in inches or what? In inches. Mm. I would say. <laughs> Four. Four inches. Rihanna says four inches. This is just just one day. Like, is that one antler or you're talking like total? Total. Yeah. Like everything. Mm -hmm. I would think it'd be more than four then, right? Say you got a a giant deer that's got a bunch of. Oh. It's two inches. Ah. Wrong Long again, <laughs> Matt Drury. <laughs> I hate to you're good at you know? take a picture of me trying to do this. And it's going to be like the beautiful minds movie where the, the math <laughs> equation is next to my head. He's got remainders up above his head. Yeah. So, <laughs> Two inches so is pretty I've, impressive for a day. That's what, <laughs> that is crazy. So I was told I found a bunch of um, elk velvet and I was told that it's really bad luck if you don't eat it. Have you guys ever heard that? Eat well, the velvet? I, I know that yeah. like in the Asian community, right? Velvet is almost oh, like a uh, healing racism, soft racism. Yeah, stuff. it's like a healing power, right? There's they use it for <laughs> antlers are and, also considered aphrodisiacs yeah. in some Asian countries. Well, on the on the velvet side, like that's got some crazy growing power in there, right? I mean, yeah, is there it's, anything it's else? It's nutrient packed. I mean, people yeah. eat placenta. way to bring it down Tim (laughs) way to get sick Tim always makes this part really weird yep it's uh it's 100% my fault (laughs) apologies everyone (laughs) well so now everyone out there if you ever find velvet make sure you eat it otherwise you'll have a bad season that's what I was told yeah well the but the weird thing is I've never seen velvet you know when they when when deer begin to shed their velvet or, or, or rub it off or whatever. Have you ever seen it anywhere? I eat velvet every day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen it before, Rihanna? Like actually on the ground or something? 
So that's what brought it up is I found a huge piece of elk velvet. And so I took a picture of it and put it on my social media. And some guy said, now, actually, multiple people said, if you don't eat it, then you're going to have bad luck. And I was like, I'm not eating this. That's no. disgusting. I'll take the bad luck. I do whatever people on social media tell me to do. Yeah. I will eat that. Yeah. I couldn't do <laughs> right? it. I don't think I could do it. Even if you're deep fried it. Yeah. And put some. <laughs> I mean, it's hairy. Is that just. I got <laughs> texture issues. No, thanks. <laughs> I think they fry it out and then they crush it up and put it in. Like oh, a like pulverize That's, it and powder. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could, I could dump it on something. That. And Let's do that. Deep this fry year. It. <laughs> we go look for velvet in August. Okay. Do a taste test. No problem. <laughs> Who's let me guys dishes know. better. Let me know. Let me know how it works. I'll let you know. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't be waiting by <laughs> okay. your phone though. <laughs> we should probably end this show. <laughs> yeah. Cause you made it weird again. <laughs> yep. We had such a cool guest. You always got to make it weird. Mm-hmm. When we had the cool That's guests. my job. <laughs> Rihanna, well, actually, I'm the one that made it weird because I'm the one right. who brought that up. You're yeah, it is Rihanna. Yeah. yeah. You're weird, Rihanna. So we'll include your email in the show notes so people can complain. Okay, <laughs> Rihanna Carey from Mountain Ops, thank you for joining us today. Maturie. Thanks for being along for the ride. Well, I think I brought you along for the ride. So thank you, Tim. <laughs> Let's both thank each other. If you want to be a part of the podcast and send us a question of the day, go to juryoutdoors.com slash podcast and click the send voicemail button and leave us a voicemail with your name, location, and what your question is. You can catch the show any place podcasts are published, including seeing us in DeerCast. And if you want to see the show, and th- th- we actually have a guest today that would be worth checking the video side of this out because usually <laughs> it's just Tim and I and I wouldn't recommend that to Welcome anyone. Welcome to Gargoyle Country. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you should check us out on the Dury Outdoors YouTube page or over at the DeerCast app. All the podcasts go into both. Yep. And when you're there, check out all the DOD TV content. And as always, we got a couple cool giveaways going on. First, the PSE uh, promotion, PSCSummerShootout.com. Register for a chance to win a hunt down at SOE mm-hmm. Hunts uh, with Mike Straw for a trophy whitetail this fall. And then the big one is the farm. The farm. We're giving away the farm. So if you want to win the farm, 60 acres, North Missouri, totally pimped out by Mark and Terry, <laughs> which just sounds bad as I said it. <laughs> they put in the food plots, the fences, the gates. That's the what stands. people think of when they think of something being pimped out. You don't need That's to explain right. it. And uh, the trail cameras, you can check out all the farm updates. We stocked the pond, all kinds of cool stuff. So go over to the DeerCast app, click the farm giveaway tab, and you can enter today. Yeah. So, right. so do it now. And we're going to shut this thing down. All right. Let's do it. See ya. Peace. <laughs> Bye.